Well, um, so that's, that's what we do. I hope you're enjoying it so far. I hope the Lord is teaching you more about who he is and who we are because of him. I hope it's allowing you to respond in worship. Um, our prayer is always that whatever we're doing here, we're not just getting smarter, but it really is informing us to be able to worship the Lord more. Uh, that's, and so, we're, so something's wrong if we're just sitting here going, man, I learned more and I'm feeling really good about myself than I did last week. Um, you should be able to look at the scriptures and see who you are not and desire to trust Jesus. Okay? So that's, our, that's how we roll here. Uh, we're going to hit Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to do a brief uh, recap, and then we're going to fly. Um, yeah, and I'm going to try to not talk so fast. I'm going to um, yeah, just want to really meditate on the text. As you're looking at the text, if you have Bibles, feel free to circle little words and stuff and, and just, just think deeply about, this, about the stories that we have. Leon has some, some pens here. If you need a pen, if you need more paper, let us know. If you need a Bible, let us know. Um, if not, we're going to just jump right in. Let me just give you a brief um, overview of where we've been. Uh, we have, in, uh, you know, Genesis 1, we talked about the God, basically God revealing himself as the, as the creator God. He creates um, everything for his, for his enjoyment. And, and what's cool about the creator God is that he creates out of an abundance. Um, we do things um, out of outage, right? You don't have something, you get something. Uh, the Lord, what he does is he, he models something that is so other is that he creates um, out of abundance, not because he needed it, not because he was bored, not because he was without, but because he, he had so much. Um, and as even he talks about that in the scriptures, even him saving us is because he has mercy pouring out of himself. He can't help himself. That's how good the Lord is. And so what the Lord does is out of abundance, he says, you know what, because I just want other people to experience the blessings of how blessed I am to be a blesser. <laughs> Right, I'm going to create people, and I'm going to create. I'm going to create the world. We talked about the whole Asa and Barah that he, he, he creates the world, and then what he does, he begins to prepare, and he prepares it for his apex, his his beautiful creation, humans. So he prepares it for us, and and then he gives us two roles. Uh, the roles he gives us is to subdue and rule. Right, we talked about that through procreation. So um, so we get to be vice regents of of God, uh, which means basically we get to rule like God. Um, God allows us, he says, hey, I'm going to put you on this earth, and what I want you to do is I want you to show people what it looks like um, if I was running the earth. Um, that's one of the call and mandates that you have as a human. Um, that's one of the reasons why we get reborn. We get to, we're able to do that again as his people. So we get to, to rule like God, and we get to subdue the earth, right? We get to um, not just be stewards, but we get to be image bearers. We get to continue to reflect and model his image, right? Uh, so we get to subdue and rule, but then the fall happens. You, you, we've all heard the fall. If you're a, uh, not a believer, um, you probably have heard this concept of like, you know, we're all sin. You heard this concept of this word sin. Well, what happens is Adam and Eve, uh, our parents, our first parents, they were created um, in God's image, and they, they were asked to do these things, to do and, and, and to, um, to rule the earth. And then they begin in themselves, have the audacity to think that they could be God, and so um, they sin. They, they were disobedient toward the Lord, right? And so then God says, well, um, you've been disobedient. What you've done, you've brought in disobedience to the hearts of all people forever. Um, and so, right, so that's what the fall is, is that because of active rebellion or passive indifference, um, we chose to sin against God, and then now we all are under this curse where we um, experience sin all the time. Even the scriptures say that we um, do evil things all the time, and we can't help but to be evil. Okay, so, so the fall happens, uh, and what begins to happen is not only just people, but all of creation begins to experience de- dev- devolution, right? So um, God is a creator, and then what happens is because of the fall, we begin to experience, so you have the God creating, and you have this upward spiral, a beautiful creation, and then the fall happens, and now you have decreation. And so we see this in our lives, um, how, and we see this in the world where things just doesn't get increasingly better, but things get increasingly bad. Um, we're, we're, we're prone to sin, um, we're evil, and, and what God wants to show us um, through the epic story as we continue when we see uh, Cain and Abel in, in Genesis chapter 4 is this, div, this devolution, this decreation that, that sin isn't something out there that's happening to us and we go, oh man, you know, here's sin and like, I keep sinning because it's here, but God is saying that it's in us. That, that we are in, in, in our creative state, um, in our fallen state, we are sinful people. Um, and so we continue on and we enter into chapter 5, and what we have is we have this huge genealogy. Um, and so I'm giving you the, sort of the cursory notes. If you are, if you are new, I would, I would ask you to please go to um, macav.com and, and look at these um, some awesome sermons from different people in our body um, on these different texts. We get to Genesis 5, 
And the main aspect of Genesis 5, I want to make sure we don't miss, is when you have that huge um, genealogy, is what we're seeing is we're seeing all of these people for 1,600 years lumped into one chapter. And God's showing us that men are just basically, we're born um, in sin, we sin, we have kids, and we die. Okay? And then, there's a, and then there's a little glimmer of hope in there because we have one guy, Enoch, who actually um, walks with the Lord and then he's taken away. He basically, as it were, he beats death. Um, the hope is that, okay, you're born, you're born in sin, then you live, you live a life and then you die, but the way you beat death is when your hope is in God. So he gives a little glimmer. So you have what they call the Proto-Euangelion in Genesis chapter 3, the first gospel, where it shows what Jesus is actually going to do to Satan one day when he's going to crush his head. Um, but right here, I would see you even have even more, but you even have um, an additional glimmer of hope that we can have a relationship with God, and that's the way we are able to experience true life and not death. Okay, we continue on now, and we're in Genesis chapter 6, and you guys know I'm not going to touch nowhere near the Nephilim. Right. Hallelujah. So, so basically, but in a nutshell, if I can just summarize uh, the whole concept of Genesis 1 through 5, uh, or I even say 1 through 6, uh, when you get there, as you'll see, it talks about um, these men. Uh, you have men who had great notoriety, who were in sin. Uh, you had these men who were these Nephilim, these people, who um, the Anakites are the descendants of the Nephilim. They're these big, really big, tall people. Um, and, and, and they're in sin, and basically it's saying both those who have high notoriety, um, both those who are big, whatever the stature is, is that, man, people were utterly sinful, and they were continually sinning, and there is sin everywhere. And that I propose one of the reasons he talks about the sons of God are taking women and are having sex with women who are unbelievers is because that was like the epitome for Jesus to say, look how sinful, sinful people are. Now, think about that. Before I go on, Think about our society. Here's the reason why we, we, that, does, that doesn't jolt us, and here's the reason why we don't think that's kind of that bad, because we're in a society where, you know, well, I'd rather be dating an unbeliever versus doing crack, right? But see, I want to propose to you that what the Scriptures are trying to say in the beginning of Genesis chapter 6, he's saying, guess what? People are sinful. They're messing up. I mean, I've had people on the earth, and what we see is we see people, they're born, they sin, they die, born, sin, and die. And, man, sin is breaking my heart. But people are getting even more sinful. They're doing crazier things. In fact, you know when they've lost their minds, you got believers marrying unbelievers. I'm proposing to you that God is saying, you, he's telling his homies, he's saying, you know when I thought I'm just going to kill them all? It's when believers start marrying unbelievers. I'm just saying, that's what, I'm saying that he's, he's sharing us that, that he, he sees his people as so sacred and a family of God, the covenant community is so serious about trying to display and not have a distorted image of God, but a true image of God that when we distort it like that, it breaks his heart. And so his response is, man is always sinful. That's where we get the sense of we have this, um, the, the great verse of total depravity, uh, which is shown... Um, in verse 5, it says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, just discussing this reality of, of us as those, the sons of God, um, taking women because they're beautiful. That was his only reason. Forget character. Wow, look, at, look how hot she is. So I want to marry her and have sex with her. And he says, you know, he sees this. Uh, man's wickedness on earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all of the time. Okay? Is it up there? Um, not yet. Oh, is it? Okay, cool. And it says that, man, this is, this is, how, this is how bad things have gotten. So, so then we see God is grieved, and we see the pain there. And there's great theological discussion. I'm not going to go into that right now. But I want to make sure you understand the nuance there. Here's what God wants you to understand. He wants you to see that, man, when, when we do these things, it deeply crushes him. It says there, so it's not, so when he says, you know what, I'm filled with pain, I'm grieved I've ever, I've ever created you. His point there, his point there isn't to get off on these little rabbit trails. The point is to see the pain in the heart of our Father when we don't live in light of his creative purposes. He wants our heart to break as his breaks. Continues on. He says, I'm grieved, but guess what? Because God is grieved. God says, look, I desire justice. You know what I'll do? I'll just go ahead and wipe them off the face of the earth. I'll kill the sinners. So he says, I'm going to kill all the sinners, but let me ask you a question. 
We're going to move on to um, verse chapter, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 6. We're going to move on down. It says in verse 8, um, but you got this Noah guy. So the question is, why did God choose Noah, right? Um, you know, we see that Noah's a righteous man, it says in the scriptures. And, and I want to I harp on this just a little moment. We, we think, oh, he's a righteous man. He, he walked with God. We look at Enoch, and we think, oh, he, he, was, he walked with God, and he was righteous, and that's why he was taken up with the Lord. And I want to tell you, we are wrong, and we are missing the text. You are missing what God is trying to say here. And when you read the end of Genesis um, 6, 7, and 8, and then you even see what happens in Genesis 9, um, you know that these guys are just as messed up and foul as you and me. But look what the text says. The reason why he chooses Noah is because he found favor. Do you see that? It wasn't because Noah was righteous that God gave him favor. It was God being gracious and giving him favor which made him righteous. You please don't miss that. Notice this. This is the first display of the word that the Hebrew word where you get the word grace. Unmerited favor. If you're new here, it's this concept of you not, you deserving something else, but God giving you what you do not deserve. Okay? See, God says, I'm gonna kill all the sinners. He says, But you know what? If I kill all the sinners, I have to kill everybody. But I'm gracious. So I guess I'll love one of you. And he chooses Noah. Grace is unbelievable. And, and you know, this is going to be a hard text for a lot of you guys. Um, so I'm just, I'm just going to prepare you. It's hard for my heart. It's been a rough week a little bit. Just, I've just been thinking through this stuff. Um, grace is deep. Because what grace, grace is so unexplainable. See, God, does he, he's supposed to pour out his wrath, and what he does, he gets his justice, but he provides his grace in order for him to be continually faithful to accomplish his plan. See, when I look at this text here, and you even look at Enoch, I'm proposing in, in, in Genesis 5, all those people, all those generations are people who are just sinful, and so is Enoch. But what God does is he gives, he puts favor on Enoch. See, grace is why we are able to be righteous. Those guys just weren't more righteous. And God said, wow, you're so holy. You're reading the Bible so much. You serve so many poor people. I think I'll let you come to heaven with me. That is contrary to the Bible. That's not what's happening here. What's happening here is God is saying, look at all of evil man, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to pour my grace. I'm going to give them an opportunity to experience me, to know me, to follow me. See, if you're even here right now, this is God being gracious to you. For you to be able to hear the gospel, to hear the good news. Now the question is, will you respond to its grace? When I think of grace, guys, I'm telling you, think of our body. I look at this, and I, I'm blown away. I mean, I just want to harp here for a little bit because I tell you guys, I cry all the time when I think of the people he's brought to our body. When I think of how the Lord has used us. A bunch of crazy nutheads. We're a bunch of misfits, you know, ex-drug dealers. We got ex-strippers up in here leading Bible study. I mean, we, I mean it's, we are messed up people. On paper, we should not be used, but God's grace. It's unbelievable when I look at our body. I, I tell you, I love you guys to death, and I just think the Lord has blessed us with, I, I, you know, there's no hierarchy, but, man, I would love to put our body up against anybody. Because I just go, these people are crazy for Jesus. And, we're, and what I love it is that we're all nutty. Y'all crazy. Alex, you crazy. You know what I'm saying? I mean, think of, all, think of our personalities. Let's think about the body. Think of our leadership. I mean, on paper, I'm the worst. And I tell you guys, I'm three years worst dressed pastor. Dressed pa- I, I get it. I, my slang up here, I'm goofy. You know, my ears are kind of bigger than my head. But... But God's grace allows you guys to let me lead you. It blows me away. I don't deserve this. I haven't earned it. I don't think I'm competent enough. But God is gracious. You had a guy um, call us, um, his church. They, they are ministering in awesome ways. Their pastor is an awesome author. They're serving Bethlehem Baptist, John Piper and them. They come to serve in our hood. And then they call us and say, man, you guys have blessed us so much. I'm so amazed. Um, you know our discipleship booklets? 
they said they want to take at least, at the least, they want to, they want to copy 100 annually for their people. That's God's grace. That's God's grace. I said, dude, cool. Don't, I said, look, don't put our name, you don't got to put our name on it. We don't care. It's just an honor that the Lord would do that with little old Macav. You know, this guy's ministering with John Piper. You don't think he has more, smarter stuff? Are you kidding? I still have my stuff from John Piper. I'm like, why don't you just go to John? So, you know, I think, I think of, like, the Lord blessed me with my wife and my kids, the pillar of a faith, my beautiful wife. She's unbelievable. And I tell you, I always say that. The biggest display of God's grace in my life next to Jesus is Sarah. And I go, man, if I, if I ever doubt if God is gracious, I look at my bride and I go, he is. We're, God has poured his grace out upon us. We're not righteous because we're better. Because you're, you didn't come to Christ because you're smarter. You're not trying to do radical things and really serve the Lord with authenticity in this hood because you just get it. That's arrogant. God has been gracious to us. He's gracious. And he's saying, you didn't earn this. We don't deserve nothing better than dying in a flood. And he was gracious. The concept, you think about it, is when you even think, if you think like that, well, no, if you're good and God bless you. See, that's not the gospel I put here. You know, we think, okay, so the goal is like bad people die, good people don't, so be a good person. No, that's not the gospel. The goal is to be a good person. That's hard. I'm scared because I'm a pastor now, and my kids are like uh, pastor kids. You know, you got these godly homes, and they, they really fall susceptible to that. Really nervous. You know, I mean, your kids, I mean, you, you guys probably pray for them all the time. Probably the, 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 the tendency to just want to be a good person, to be a good Christian versus someone who loves Jesus. It's always there because you got, I, I mean, my kids see it. They see me saying praise the Lord and praying all the time. They see all these good people. And, and so they go, okay. And so I'm just asking the Holy Spirit, help me help them art, just articulate the gospel so they understand the heart of the Father. It's about grace, guys. It's not about because I'm a pastor that you just end on my credit. <laughs> This is about grace, man. You need to believe the Lord. You need to trust Jesus. Got my little kid, three, four years old, talking about hallelujah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, Lord, just allow, allow his heart to connect someday. You know what I'm saying? He's saying all the right stuff. You know, we pray. And he'll be like, Lord, I pray for all the lawbreakers. Like, what other Sarah's here? You should hear him talk. I mean, I mean, you talk about the little Pharisees. But they, I tell you, <laughs> because they don't get it yet. They're three, they're four. And I just pray that their hearts connect. Well, praise the Lord is saying that versus like Eminem, you know. So, hallelujah. Um, where am I? So, see, see, bad people, good people, be a good person, that's karma. Right? That's not what we do. It's not about, it's not about a scale here. Okay, your scale is already tipped on super evil. So, he chooses Noah because of grace. He says right there, he found favor. You see that family? Okay. Um, it says, this is the account of Noah. We're in verse 9 now in chapter 6. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. Remember, he said favor before he said that, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become. Uh, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways, verse 12. Notice that I love. It's very interesting that God, is, 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 he continually shows that ownership piece. People corrupted their own ways. You see that? So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, I love this. I just love how meticulous the Lord is. I mean, you know, I got my, my, my big wood man here. I wish I can get Phil up here to discuss wood. I, I'm pretty sure cypress wood was for a reason. I don't know if it just floats better. I don't know. But he says, uh, you got uh, cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. Pretty sure you coat it with pitch so they don't have holes leaking and, y'all, and everybody dies. And like the Lord is like, oops, you know. So I'm sure... 
says this, this is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 70 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Verse 16, make a roof for it and finish the ark um, to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. Three stories, right? Um, and I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has, breath, has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. Now, I want you, as I'm, as I'm reading this, notice how many times he talks about the reality of the death. Something we all don't want to talk about. Um, but but he, he wants to pan in on this issue that everyone on the earth is going to be destroyed. He says, I'm going, verse 17 again, I'm going to bring flood waters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. We talked about covenant a couple weeks ago. I'm not going to rehash that. I do ask you to go back to um, MacAv and listen to the, um, just for the sake of time. Um, so you, can under, you need to understand the word covenant, okay? Um, we'll talk about that more in Genesis 12 and also in Genesis 15, but right now I'm just going to move on, help you understand God makes a promise with this man, and he, um, he gives himself in that promise. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep alive with you. Verse 20, two of every kind of bird and every kind of animal um, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. So it's not some picture at the end of verse 20 of him having bear traps and having to, you know, find all these people. And he's kind of like scared because he got 15 more days and he still hasn't got the, you know, the wet moss. You know, I don't know what, you know, like. This is about God's sovereign hand. You don't miss God's sovereign hand there. He's saying, they'll come to you. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. Man, think about how big this, this ark is. Have you thought about it? Have you Go online. You, you, there's all kind of different ways they give analogies. I mean, like as, as big and large as 36 tennis courts. Huge courts, you know, 500-something, 560 uh, train cars. Three, it's, it's the highest three stories. It took them 120 years to build it. 120 years. Think about that. They did a couple things in those 120 years. He preached the gospel, and he built the ark. Huge. Verse 22 says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. You're going to notice that theme. If you have your Bible, you should circle that. Circle that reality that, that, Noah, that Noah is going to say over and over again because he, be, he wants you to understand something, that Christianity is about obedience, okay, that your faith reveals itself through obedience. And so he's going to continue to say this sense of like, I told him to do this, and he did exactly as I said. And, and let me just pause here. This has nothing to do with the text, but I and our body, you guys are unbelievable. But I sometimes just like, Lord, would you allow, I just feel like our prophetic voice. See, this, 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 the tenor of this discussion we're going to have here is twofold. It's something to the unbeliever, but it's something to the believer. And to the believer, which is, I know a lot of you in here, He's saying, what are you doing with your prophetic voice? If God has called the people of God to be his missionaries and to be prophets, ask, what are you doing? When God tells you to do something, do you do it? Or do you want to have discussion with Jesus? You know, do you just now you want to do prayer requests forever? You know, talk about it in Matt group. When God has been clear as day, you're my prophet and I need to prepare you, and I'm asking you to do something. He did everything the Lord said. Chapter 7, the Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, 
a male and its mate, and two of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate. In verse 3. And also seven of every kind of bird, um, um, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. So seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And notice again, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Ask you a question. Excuse me. When you look at that, you got a week left. A week left. There's a week left now. It's been 120 years building an ark, telling people God's going to destroy everything. And do you understand? Let's make sure we understand something. It's not that people were saying, I want to follow God, I want to love God, and he said, well, too late, you can't get on a boat. This is about 420 years. He preached the gospel, and no one responded except eight people. That's what the scriptures are teaching us. That's the tenor of the text. No one responded. You got a week now. What would you do? What would you do? Think of your loved ones. Think of the people you've been talking to about the Lord. Think of your friends. What will you do? Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. And Noah, his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Verse 8. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds, and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. I love that animals always obey. We're the ones who are tripping. And after the seven days, the flood waters came on the earth. Verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, I was paused there. You, you, why, why do you think all the specificity? Why do you think he gets so specific? Let me tell you something. Because first Peter talks about it. Hebrews talks about it. Jesus talks about it. He wants us to understand this is historic. Guys, all of humanity was destroyed by the flood. This happened. It says, on that day, all the springs of the deep burst forth. So guess what? We don't talk a lot about it, but it wasn't just rain, but also water was coming up out of the ground, the scriptures are saying here. Right, that the springs birth forth. So you had water coming down and water coming up out. On that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth. That's the water coming down from up. And the floodgates of the heavens were open. That's the water coming up, going down. And rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons Shem, Ham, and Jephthah, together with his wives and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. Eight people, y'all. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature uh, that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female, and every living thing as God had commanded Noah. Um, okay. Can you go to the next slide? Okay. It says the scriptures, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Continue on, please. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its, un- on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. 
Okay, guys. So you have the seven days, and you're looking out, and you're kind of, they're at the door. Why don't you put yourself here with me? Okay. Why don't you go here with me? You got the door? And he's seeing all his friends and his family. And um, for 120 years, no one has responded. And you got the, the pregnant lady walking by. You have people hanging out, families playing. And they're mocking you, just like we get mocked today. And they're saying, you're crazy. Can't believe you just built this big old ship. And they're standing in the door. And you see all these animals and people are going, I can't believe this guy is continuing this. Can you imagine? The animals are going in. And now he's standing there. What would you do? See, this is, I wouldn't say this is theology here. But I propose, say he's a preacher of righteousness, I propose that he couldn't shut the door. Because I think there's a powerful text here. It says in Scripture, you can continue on. Look what it says here. It says, then the Lord shut him in. I wonder, I don't know, I wonder if he was sitting, standing there and he so just thought, man, everyone right now is about to be destroyed. And the Lord would say, get in the boat. Who do you see? Who do you see out there? Do you see your friends? Do you see yourself? Are you thinking, are you foolish and thinking, oh, God will tarry and I'll become a Christian when I'm 50 and he'll wait. And I'll just, I'll do my dirt now and I'll become a Christian later. Or are you just mocking us? <laughs> I'm here right now and I'm just doing these people a favor. I told them I'll come to church. As if you, are you that foolish? You really think you're doing me a favor? Are you that foolish? And you're mocking God. And you're standing out there and you're going, I don't think so. He says that's how they were. They were having marriages, being given in marriage. They were partying, having fun. And they didn't really care anything about God. And all of a sudden, the clouds started to billow. The clouds started to form. The door closes. The water begins to slowly rise up. The rain starts to fall. Look what it says here. It says in verse 17, for 40 days, the flood kept coming. It didn't stop. It kept rising. It kept rising and rising. It kept coming. Think of the people out there. You had weak people and strong people, elderly people, kids. I'm sure you had a lot of prideful people like myself who thought, man, I'm physically fit. You, know, you had cats like Nate, you know, and Alex who, you know, ran for big-time colleges. Oh, I'll just jog my way up a mountain. I'm sure... It's not going to be 16,000 feet. So I think I can beat, my, beat this rap. I got this. I feel bad for all those people who aren't as smart as me. So it starts to kill off all the people who couldn't do all those things. They begin to drown. You, you go on your roofs. You go on a tree. And then they die. But it doesn't stop. 
keeps rising. It keeps raining. It keeps thundering. It's getting cold. People are dying from hypothermia. And even those who get up in the mountain, what happens to those guys? It says, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, verse 18. And the ark floated on the surface of the waters. All of a sudden, the desert family becomes a sea. Think of how much boat has to be under the water before it floats. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. You got to the mountain, where it says, The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. It says, Even the mountains couldn't save you. No matter how high you went, the waters went higher. Everything living, verse 21, everything living that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Everything living on the face of the earth was wiped out. He says the same thing three or four different ways. And this is the second time he's done it. Men and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. This is when you, you want to get up and leave. This is when in my, in my flesh, I want to have a joke. I want to change the subject. Right? This is when it's really uncomfortable for you and me right now. Why are we talking so much about death? Why are we talking so much about the flood? This is why I think it's kind of weird that we teach the flood in the way we do to our kids. This is a tragic event where God is putting in our face the reality of our sin. And what the payment is. This is not some weird story with nice giraffes and elephants. This is about God destroying creatures and humanity because of our evil. Can you imagine? You're, you're on a boat, and you hear the screams, and you hear the, the babies, and you hear people banging on a boat. Let's go there. And you, the, the ladies are sad, and, you know, the husbands are trying, you know, they're sad, and everyone's just, like, losing it inside. It's dark, and all you hear is the rain and the thunder and the rain and the rain. And I wonder even more horrific, maybe, is when you stop hearing the cries and you stop hearing the beating because you know everyone has been destroyed. I can't, I can't, I can't, we can't put a band-aid on this. Can't change the subject. We're in a culture where you you, with theory and with, with psychology, we, we try to medicate this. And we try to do whatever we need to do to not talk about pain and suffering. But God says, I'm going to tell you the truth. That's what I love about Christianity. Let me tell you something. You want to, we all want to go to churches where they, they, sort of, they sort of water down the gospel a little bit so it's palatable for you. But true Christianity tells the truth about your state and his goodness. And you, and, and you might not want to hear it, but that's what you're going to get when you hang out with us. This is what the Lord is saying. This is the truth. 
This is the truth, family. It continues on. It says, Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. You see that? For 150 days, family. And um, he's probably on a boat for a lot, over a year. We'll see in a moment. Let's go on. A ver- We're going to go to chapter 8. It says, But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. You see that? Don't miss that. But God remembered. You see that? And notice how he remembers. So, so again, it's all about God's grace. He's supposed to have been destroyed too. But God remembered. I made a covenant with this guy. Oh, that's why there's still, there's still a human alive. Oh, yeah, I didn't kill him. I forgot. He, has, he says, I made this covenant. Look what he does. I remembered that Noah was going to be the new humanity. So what I did was I made the water subside. You see that? God remembered Noah. He remembered and, and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. The, almost, the, almost the sense is like the reasons why the water receded was because the Lord remembered Noah. And I love the sense of he sent the wind over the earth, almost like that retelling. You know, we talk a lot about in Scripture. I want you guys, as, you, as you're learning the Bible, circle that. Remember the retelling of the story? Well, when do we see something like that? When God begins creation. The Spirit hovers, right? He sent the wind over, the Ruach, over the earth, just like he did in the beginning. Because this is a retelling of recreation. Do you see that? He's starting again, and it says, um, Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens have been closed, and the rain has stopped falling from the sky. Finally, the waters receded steadily from the earth. Verse 3, at the end of the um, 150 days, the water had gone down. Okay? And on the 17th day, verse 4, of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Um, so this mountain is located in, um, in Turkey. And think about that. The mountain was 16,000, about 16,800 feet or some change. Okay? The waters were above that. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month, and on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. So finally, in the 10th month, you can finally see a little peak of the mountaintop. Can you imagine this? Man. After 40 days, Noah opened the window. He had made it in the ark and sent out a raven. Well, he sends out a raven. Why? Because it's more of a tougher bird. Um, they have great, they can fly like crazy. So he sends out probably more, not, not more of a timid bird, but he sends out a tough bird that can go and hover over the land. So he sends out this raven. It flies for a while, it says, and it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Um, and then he sent out a dove. He sent a more timid bird uh, to see what's up with the land, to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove couldn't find no place. Could he make the little nest and whatnot? Couldn't do it. So the dove returns, says, couldn't find no place to set its feet because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. Verse 10, he waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Um, so, yeah, the olive leaf thing is hilarious um, because, you know, what, what is the olive leaf but the little, you know, the little dove olive leaf? What, what's that symbol of, guys? Peace, right, in our, in our world. And, you, and it's amazing the, the people who have that as a simple symbol um, all around the world. Um, but when you think about it, we look at it like, oh, symbol of peace, don't do anything, kind of. The, guys, the dove in this whole olive branch piece represents God destroying all of humanity. And what it's trying to say, that what the Bible always teaches, is that you know how you get peace? Through justice. Peace comes through 
what I would say, I was, you can see this even in, even in, even Jesus says, you know, I'm going to come and bring peace with a sword of my mouth, right? And that my, my, my robe will be dipped in blood, the scriptures say. Because peace comes when there is judgment. Fact check that, family. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. Probably built a nest. It's interesting when I think of this text here. What, what, makes us, what makes us squirm? When you think about the reality, all the people that die, hey guys, myriads of people die every day and go to hell. Every day. And they don't say yes to Jesus as their king, and then we don't have our prophetic witness, and they die and never experience the reason why they were created. Verse 13, family, by the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, remember he was 600, now he's 601, okay? He's been on the ark for about a year, that's fair to say. Can you imagine? Dirty. Who knows what they ate? Um, dark. You know, he probably had a few lanterns or something. I'm sure they had to take care of those things. The stench. Talk about cabin fever, my goodness. It says, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. Okay. So Noah removes the, uh, the covering. The surface of the ground is dry, right? Verse 14 says, by the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Okay. So he removes it on the first day of the first month. Or it says, Noah then re, uh, removed the covering. Right? And then it says, verse 14, by the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. That's interesting to me. Okay. Even if I'm kind of wrong, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure it wasn't that he removed the covering, the earth was dry. I'm sure there was some duration. It seems there was, a long, there was a longer time, like maybe a month or so. Imagine that. You've been on the ark with these eight cats and all these animals for a year. You were, the, the earth is finally dry. You have removed the covering. And he still does not get off the boat, I propose, because God hadn't told him to yet. I personally find that as simply amazing. It's a great display of faithfulness. It says in verse 15, Then God said, Noah, come out of the ark. You and your wife and your sons and, your, and, and their wives, bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so that they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. Where have you heard that before? Praise the Lord, family. Speak up for Jesus. We heard that in creation. He's retelling this story. We have this new humanity. You see this beautiful thing that God has done in the midst of our, of our sin? He reinstates this mandate of us being his vice regents. And being, Noah obeys. Look at, look at verse 18. So Noah came out. You see that? Together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark, one kind after another. Another. Now, the question is, now what would you do? God has killed everyone. You get off the boat. You take a bath. Do you go and get more food to eat, different kind of food? Do you sort of survey the land? What do you do? Do you just start going back to the daily routines before all this happened? What do you do, family? 
do you just, do you cry? I mean, does it hit you again? You know, you've been crying for a while, but you know, this whole newness of it all, you open these, you open these doors, and oh my goodness. Imagine that. When you close the doors, there was all these people. You open them, there's absolutely nothing except for some little shrubs that are starting to birth again. What do you do? What do you do, family? Look what Noah does. He worships. See verse 20? Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Now, Okay, this whole altarpiece, um, uh, which is a better word for the sacrifice, I mean, is a word that basically means a sacrificing place. Um, we'll talk about that again more um, as we continue in Genesis. Hope you continue to come in Genesis 12 and 15. We're going to see this all over the place. It's a place where you just build in order to sacrifice. But um, why do you sacrifice? It's because you're, 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 you're proclaiming and you're saying to God, thank you. You're, you're, you're reminding God that he's the king and that you're subservient to him. Um, that's the nuts and bolts of, of, of altars and sacrifice. You're, you're kneeling into his kingship. But, but what I want you to notice I'm here, I don't want to say, because this has blew me away and, and just encouraged my heart. He does something. The way he sacrifices, it seems like, uh, it seems like there's a specific sacrifice he does here. And it's a sacrifice of atonement. But what blows me away even more is that the sacrifice of atonement hadn't been instituted yet. This is the first sacrifice. This is the first, this is the first altar. So how does he know to do a sacrifice of atonement? I propose he gets it from his creator, God. When God covers the shame and sin of Adam and Eve, and he takes the, uh, the skin from animals. And just like he saw his father model of taking the shame and sin, and the way he did it was by using blood, he himself begins to sacrifice without any Old Testament, no Pentateuch, and just begins to sacrifice to the Lord. And look what it says in the scriptures. You see that family? Don't miss how he does it. It says there that Noah, he, taking some of all the clean animals, he took some of all the clean animals and all the clean birds. Can you imagine this? Okay, I don't know the specifics of this, but what you do know is that he took, he took some of all these animals. There was a lot of animals. Think of all the clean animals and clean birds, family, okay? Creation has just been slaughtered. He gets off the boat, and here's where, if you're still thinking, well, no, he was just a righteous man that got saved, and would you please look at at least this text? He doesn't get off and say, man, I'm so glad I read my Bible. He doesn't get off and say, wow, you know, those people kind of deserve what they got. He gets off the boat. He doesn't brag about how good he is, about how he has all this favor in God. He gets off the boat with deep humility, and he he grabs all of these clean animals, and he begins to slit their throat and confess his sin. He begins to model to the Lord, I should have been dead too. That's what he's doing. He's taking all these animals, and one by one, can you imagine? I don't know if he was confessing sin. I don't know if he was like actually naming the sin, but can you imagine he's slitting the throat? The bird, and another bird, another bird. And he grabs an animal. And he's continued, and it's probably happened all day. Think of all the animals And he kills and he pours the blood out of these animals to say, Lord, I should be dead too. Can you imagine a carcass all piled up? Can you imagine his family seeing this, him modeling this this humility and this rightness of that he deserves death just like everyone else did but God? Can you imagine family with me? Can you see it? He worships. It says, 
the Lord, verse 21, smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of man. And notice this, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. I'm going to harp on this in, in a moment, but think about that. He destroys humanity. You think, okay, we're cool now. God says, no, I'm not going to do this, not, but not because you're better. You still have every inclination to be and do evil, but because I'm good. You see that? He says, as long as the earth endures, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. The Lord responds. It's almost like the Lord, I mean, you know, he initiated, God didn't ask him to do this. He just initiates worship. And then it says the Lord just responds. Almost like, wow. About time somebody gets grace. He gets grace. It was pleasing to the Lord. Somebody finally didn't talk about how smart they were, what they bring to the table. He just, he sacrifices hordes and hordes of animals and says, Lord, you are so good because you could have destroyed everybody, including me and my family, and done whatever you wanted to do, but you didn't. You humbly not only saved me, but then you allowed me uh, to re-begin the mandate for humanity. Wow. Guys, um, the, the beauty of, of what, what God is doing there is he's saying to you and me, you have Noah, who's this priest, and he begins to sacrifice. And then the Lord says, wow, so you see that we deserve death. He realizes that he's received grace, but there's a payment for sin. And so he begins this thing that we haven't even seen yet, and that is he begins to, show, to atone for his sin before the God that has created him. And what blows me away is that we stand in this day, and guess what? We don't have to go out and find all the clean animals and clean birds. But what happened was we now have a priest in Jesus who is righteous, who's also a prophet as Noah, but who's also our king. And what happened is then Jesus became a murdered savior for us. He was murdered. His blood was shed so that yours wouldn't have to be shed. He says, you don't have to sacrifice an animal. I'll sacrifice myself because of the great love for which I love you, the Bible says. I've killed myself. I've allowed man to kill me to shed my blood for your sin. And just as Noah, if you will receive the grace of the Lord, humble yourself and say, it's nothing I've done. It's not how smart I am. It's not what I bring to the table. It's not my lineage. But it's only because of God's grace, his unmerited favor, for him to give me something that I don't deserve. I get to experience retelling that story in a redemptive state, just like Noah being able to be a recreator, being able to be that person who reinstitutes new mankind. That's who we are. What God does is he becomes murdered so that he can reinstitute for the last time true humanity. Those who are born of the Spirit who love Jesus. And he says it's free. It's for us all. For those who will humble themselves. Who will take me as their king. If I can level with you, this is where I tell you guys, I mean, I was going to be honest and and hear my heart. You know I love you. But man, I, I look around every week and I walk in a community and I watch our youth and you know what breaks my heart? If some of you just don't give a care. 
you are here right now, and you're just mocking God. You're playing the game. You actually think that this is some, you know, help group. You actually think that these are just some kind of stories that we kind of cope with together. You've, you've fooled yourself into like being in this community and you, and you get caught up in a religiosity. Maybe you've gone to the really bad churches before and you've, you've hung out with, with aunts telling you ungospel truth or whatever it is. But you sit here and you're playing a game. You're playing a game. And you're thinking, well, I don't see any consequences. And you're foolish. And it breaks my heart. Because just as, just as Noah, a preacher of righteousness, he comes, he wants to preach, and he tells people, here's what God has said. Guys, I'm honest. I feel like that sometimes. I feel like I'm sharing like everything I have in my heart. And then you leave here as if God hasn't said anything to you. And it just it, it breaks my heart. And I don't know what to do. I don't know how to make you see in the youth how you're called to be something more in Jesus. I don't know how to make you see to depend on God's grace. And guys, I'm on my knees. I get it now. I just got to pray. There's nothing I can do. God has to do something in our hearts. Oh, I watched some of you guys. You, you. It's just a game. And you don't think, you really don't think that God is going to return. Oh, it breaks my heart. A lot of our body, you love Jesus and you experience God's grace. And for whatever reason, you're just thwarting your prophetic influence. And God is saying, I want you to tell the world. And because of our arrogance, our backbiting, some of you guys are such a thorn in the flesh in this body. You're all about drama. Ain't got no biblical text for nothing but you just want to cause strife. And God is saying, we have a job to do. We're supposed to be proclaiming the gospel, loving the people of God, caring for the unbeliever. And your hindrance. God has said, I've called you to have a prophetic voice. And you're jockeying for position. What you're supposed to get here, what you need and what you deserve. Versus just taking, taking all your notoriety, putting it to the side, and saying, I just want to be one of the servants of God here. How can I serve the Lord? How can I help the gospel be proclaimed in this community? I just ask for you to repent. Let's join together and be about God's business. Please tell us there's something unbiblical. But don't be bringing strife here because of your preference. I'm begging you, please. With deep humility, not out of, I'm telling you guys, not out of pride or arrogance, but if that's your deal, it'll just help us and you if you just went somewhere where you can be happy. We're really trying to be about kingdom here in our sin. We're trying to be about the kingdom. Some of you are just starting to connect with Jesus, or you're still starting hearing the gospel, and you're like, man, I don't get it. I don't even know what he's talking about. I haven't read Genesis. Let me tell you something, man. We're all bluffing. I'm not really good at the Bible either. You know, we all bluffing. Everybody, who, People who act like they're deep and they get the scripture, they're lying. You know, we're, we're trying to figure it out. Now, I, know, I don't know all things. I know some things, but I just want you to know, like, we all have a certain disposition of a desired humility here. We're all on this journey together. Just start on a journey. Don't feel intimidated by people who are acting like they're more spiritual than they are. 
Usually those are the people who are really lying. They probably got the most hidden sin. Just go on a journey with us. Start reading the scriptures. Start connecting with the people of God. Place yourself around the spirit of God, the covenant community, people who have character and integrity. Place yourself, I tell you guys, I don't say this because I'm here. Uh, I just, I'm telling you, if I, if, I didn't even, if I wasn't your pastor, I still would recommend this piece, pe- these people to you. It's unbelievable people. I look around this room who love the Lord. I look at Will. I look at, I look at my sister Lori. I'm, I can go around the room and point out just gospel-centered people who don't have it all together, but they deeply believe in Jesus. And I'm asking you to place yourself around those people so that you can hear the truth. I'm begging you. Don't give up the journey. Be on a journey with us. Okay? Unbeliever, please become a Christian. Love Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the faith to believe in the Lord. And a family of God, would you, would you please let's, let's fight together. Let's have a prophetic voice like, like Noah. Okay? Pray for us. We have another song. You know I love you, right? <laughs>